0: And welcome to Music 316 for, I guess this is Tuesday. Today is December 8th. Thank you very much. And we had left off with the raising of the flagpole of Indra, King of the Gods, at the Indra Jatra Festival in Nepal. The members of the ruling caste, the Government ministers and the military officers had raised the flagpole cut by woodcutters and moved by them and farmers to the city, the, to the grounds of the royal palace, blessed by the Brahmin priests. And, oops, there they are, but we want to move past them here. There are the is raising the god's flagpole. Ordinary people had moved it there. Here are the low caste musicians, the 18th century band that has been made into a living museum. And now with the flagpole raised, there are three different musical groups, circumambulating, walking around the flagpole. This is always done in a clockwise direction. If you were to do it, Counterclockwise, it would be a sign of disrespect for the gods. And so you always do it in a clockwise direction. And you play music while you do it. The music creates or enhances a sacred space around the flagpole. It is a way of energizing and transforming the space into a specially marked off area. The music fills it with a different kind of energy. And so here is the 18th century drum and flute band, the Guru But we're seeing even more of a time capsule of the history of military music in Nepal when we see the circumambulation, because there are two other bands following them. The military band in their black uniforms. Just behind them. Behind the last of the soldiers in black here. Behind this guy's head. Oh, here they are. Stop. Stop there a second. See these guys in ordinary street clothes. No special uniforms. Some of them have suit jackets. Some of them just have shirts and vests. Who are these? These are the members of the Hill Band, a band of musicians from the hills, from the boondocks of Nepal, from out in the rural area, away from the cities where... Those guys came in 1768 and conquered the cities and conquered the kingdom of Nepal. This represents the deep past of Nepal. These bands have been around for many hundreds of years. There are five different kinds of instruments that they play. The most important ones are oboes and kettle drums. And those were the first Central Asian military band. And they had an influence on European music, too, just like the Turkish military band later did. The oboe and kettle drum band, in fact, was perhaps the first big success in musical globalization. It spread all the way from Central Asia, from one end of the Eurasian continent to the other. The oboes and kettle drums moved up into Europe. They moved down into Africa and all the way across Africa from east to west. They moved all the way across the Asian continent. They were the first big international seller. They were used for military music. They were used for wedding music. They were used for celebrations of all kinds, for festivals of every kind. And you still find them in many, many places in the world today. And here is the version that existed in the hills of Nepal. So this is the oldest kind of military music in Nepal. The guys in black are much more modern. The guys in black developed in the 18th century after the invasion of the cities of central Nepal. So they are the equivalent of the George Washington fife and drum bands coming from out of the same time period. And then finally behind them, these guys in modern military uniforms are playing the same instruments as your high school marching band. The same instruments as the U.S. Marine Band under John Philip Sousa. And in fact, they even play music by John Philip Sousa and other American and European composers. But right now, They're playing the same music as the black 18th century band. But these three different bands, the hill band here in their ordinary clothes, the military band in their modern military uniforms with tubas and all of the modern military band instruments and the black 18th century band are all playing the same music. And their instruments are out of tune with each other. Their instruments don't go together. And so you can't really tell that they're playing the same music, but if you listen closely, they are. They're playing the same thing. And that's the same music that the black band was playing when they shot off the muskets and the pigeons flew away during the flagpole raising. It's a seasonal raga. It's a raga that's played always at this time of year, in the fall. It's old traditional music. It's at least 200 years old because that's the kind of music that this band is supposed to play. And so they do that. Now they've finished circumambulating and they're marching away. Off to the left. They march in formation over to the side here. And there is the flag of the King of the Gods waving. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the national anthem. understand it. I mean these instruments were designed and played 200 years ago before they ever got the Western instruments from the Turkish band in Nepal and all that other kind of music. And then those other instruments played by the old Hill band are in a different scale. Yeah, they're not in just a different scale. They're in different tuning where the notes that these guys are playing fall between the cracks of the piano or the trumpets and the sousaphones, the tubas, and the clarinets that the, that the modern military band is playing, and they fall between the cracks in the oboe that the older band is playing. This is music that is grandly, impossibly out of tune. It cannot go together. There is no way that the music of these bands can harmonize or agree with each other. Now, isn't that great? Think about that, isn't that just how a national anthem ought to be? Aren't nations made up of people from many different cultural backgrounds, from many different kinds of ethnic heritage? Don't we all have different roots and different branches in our family tree that makes One kind of music, part of the heritage of one group of people, another kind of music, part of the heritage of another group of people. (coughs) Suppose the American national anthem was done like this. What would you have? You would have people playing the modern band instruments. Yes, you'd probably have a George Washington Fife and Drum band representing American history. But what else would you have? You would have have, um, Greek and Italian and Spanish music. You would have Hispanic music and Latin American music. You would have American Indian music and African American music. You would have the music of the Scandinavians and the Swiss and the Germans and the English and the Scottish and all of the other Irish, etc. Russian Americans who make up this country, you would have all of those kinds of music smooshed together into something even bigger and wilder and more out of tune and crazy and spectacular as this. You think this is out of tune? Just think what it would be like if we had a true musical picture of America in our national anthem. But we don't do that. We pretend But it's all a little tune that everything fits one kind of harmony and one kind of sound. Too bad. Maybe someday we'll get it. But by the way, this doesn't exist in Nepal anymore either. Because when they got rid of the king, they got rid of this national anthem. So not there anymore. Now, what I want to note is do they still play the new, new national anthem the same way with all of these bands? out of tune. So I've got, to, I've got to make a run over there soon to find out whether the new new national anthem is still as wild and crazy as this one was.
1: Yeah? Okay, so they don't have the national anthem anymore, but do they still do this festival once a year? Like, oh, yeah. They, they wouldn't get rid of that,
0: right? Yeah. No, no. It's the so most important the history national history. festival. Now, instead of the king at the festival, you have a communist prime minister. Well, it was a communist prime minister until the Year or so ago, and then, then they uh, elected a non-communist prime minister. So that's what they do. Okay. So now the national anthem is over. With.
1: What on,
0: we do now? Oh, okay. demons show up. This is a a demon who shows up at this time of year. Danced the dancer and musicians being people from a village who have the hereditary right and obligation to um, to embody this demon at this time of year at this festival. Likewise this elephant. from another village who have the right and obligation to present the elephant at this time of year. Plenty of police and army around. Here are some fierce gods and goddesses. Thousands of people on the temple steps over there. Military officers all around. Cars coming in, bringing the ambassadors of all the countries that have embassies there. So the American ambassador comes, the Russian ambassador, the Chinese ambassador, the British ambassador, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And the whole diplomatic corps joins the king standing up on a balcony just above where these dancers are. We'll see that balcony in a minute and I want to rush this forward. Oh, that was a living goddess. She's a little girl who's chosen at a very young age, somewhere around the age of maybe three or four years old, as the living embodiment of the goddess Kumari. And she's raised away from her family in the temple and worshiped as a goddess and every year she goes on procession in this big wooden chariot wooden chariot with a gold roof that looks like a temple on wheels it's pulled by a hundred or more men pulling on ropes and here are the diplomatic corps and there's the king of Nepal over there um, standing watching, watching her go by this little girl is the legitimizer of the kingship. She was the one who gave the king power to rule every year. And without her approval, um, you could not have a king. Now presumably she um, gives the approval to the prime ministers of Nepal to rule every year. The king, after she's gone, the king throws money down to the dancers because he has the hereditary obligation to give the dancers a reward in terms for, the, for their dances. That has been the case since his ancestors conquered the kingdom in 1768. Unfortunately, the pay scale has not changed since 1768. And so he is still throwing them the same, coins that he, that, the same value in coins that he threw um, over 200 years ago, getting to be almost 240, 250 years now. And believe me, there has been a lot of inflation since then. So they end up getting the equivalent of maybe a quarter or um, uh, 50 cents if if, if they're lucky. And so he throws the coins down. And they start shaking their fists and jumping and turning their fierce scowling faces up to him and waving swords at him and jumping around. He throws a few more coins and they still want more money. They're still shaking their swords and how's that for a suit? He went to Harvard. They still want more money. There's a sword up in the air and they're shaking their fists. Give us more. Give us more. More. Give me more. (coughs) And the king asks his minister, and the minister rubs his hands and says, No, we can't afford to give them any more. Our budget is shot for this year. <laughs> the king says, Are you sure? The minister says, Sorry, sir. No more for the dancers. And so he turns around and walks off. This king was assassinated. A few years ago, um, by a member of the royal family, and it was his brother who was on the throne when, when, when the kingdom was overthrown. And I have to stop there. This is a oh, there he goes. Sorry, guys. No more money for you that year. So anyhow, that national anthem is example number four on CD six. Now. Example five, A, B, and C, are examples of Vedic chant. There were four Vedas, the old religious texts of the Hindu religion. And you see on the handout that there, there are excerpts of three of them here. Now, I'm not going to have these on the listening exam. So mark off example 5A, B, and C for the listening exam. But you are responsible for reading the information on the handouts about them. I'm going to play a little bit of 5A for you because it's very important that this is the oldest music in the world that we know of that is still performed. There are records of continuous performance of this music going back to about 1,000 BC. And it is probably older than that still. And this is older than we have records for any other music that is performed today. Even the Chinese music from the old days of the Chinese empire does not go back as far as this music because Chinese musicians changed their musical tuning and their musical scales when a new dynasty of kings came in. And so the older music was changed at that point. The Indian priests tried to maintain the the performance practice exactly as it was from one generation to the next. Because remember, they were trying to maintain control over the existence of the universe and the ongoing survival of the universe. So just for a quick lesson, uh, a, a quick listen, here are two versions of chanting of the Rig Veda, which is the oldest of the four Vedas, example 4a. And you'll see that the Rig Veda chant uses a scale of three notes. Rig Veda number
1: 1 5a om of
0: 3 notes The text that we have described using those notes, the high, medium, and low, um, going back for a period of at least 3,000 years. Now, granted that everything changes in a lot less time than 3,000 years, we don't know exactly how the three-note chanting has changed, but there are only three possibilities for change there. It's a lot less... Prone to change than something with five notes or seven notes in the scale. It's easier to control variation with fewer variables, is the general principle. And so chances are that music with a three note scale sounded somewhat similar even 100 years ago, even 500, even 1000, maybe even two or 3000 years ago, if those are the only Variables, but here is a different way of chanting the Rig Veda that shows that you can have some variations. So, this also has three notes, but listen to this one. In simple terms, the difference between those two versions is that the first one sounds more like speaking and the second one sounds more like singing. But in fact, there are quite a few subtle differences between them that show that there is quite a bit of room for change, even with a scale of only three different notes. And so you must have had a lot of changes happening over the years that has resulted in different ways of chanting and singing these Vedas. Now, in the Sama Veda, example five B, you have even more possibilities for change because the Sama Veda uses a scale of seven notes rather than three. <laughs> In the scale, but it uses a lot of notes for each syllable of the text. And so you get a melody that is much more elaborate than you get in the chanting of the Rig Veda. This is the musical Veda. This is the one that's used for a more beautiful, a more musical song. The Rig Veda is used when you want clarity of the text, when you want the words to stand out and not be obscured by a beautiful, elaborate melody. And then the final one on this example is a technical exercise from the Black Yajur Veda that shows how you learn to do a song so that you will never forget it and you'll never make a mistake. And the way that you do that is to apply mathematical formulas, algorithms to the chanting of the text so that you do it forward and reverse and inside out, backwards and forwards. You learn everything many different ways. For instance, here's the beginning
1: The word is pretty. The next word is gama jay <laughs>
0: And if you learn something that thoroughly in that many mathematical permutations, you are not going to forget it because you've stored your information with a great amount of redundancy so that you can recall it in many different contexts from many different starting points. And if you lose it one way, you're sure to recall it several other And that's what this is all about. Information storage and retrieval. And that's because the Vedic priests felt themselves responsible for, for maintaining the order and structure of the universe. The Buddhist monks of India developed a very different way of storing religious and philosophical information. Let's just take a quick look at a Buddhist festival. This is from the island of Sri Lanka. This is a Buddhist monk's ordination. This is taking place in Kandy, the old capital city of Sri Lanka. There are two major Buddhist monasteries located in two directions away from the central city. and. The processions for ordination move from the monasteries on the outskirts of town to the main Buddhist temple in the center of town. The processions feature people with flags. Those were (coughs) religious flags. This is an elephant, obviously, but why is that elephant dressed up like that? Answer, he's a royal elephant. king's elephant, who lives in the king's palace. And you get a royal elephant driver mounting onto him because he is a symbol of royalty. He's a symbol of the nation and of the king. And he's carrying a Buddhist flag rather than a national flag because the country of Sri Lanka doesn't have a king. They haven't had a king for 200 years since the British invaded and took over and got rid of the king who ruled the country then. But you need the symbolism of the nation for this parade. And so you have the king. And then you have these dancers and musicians following along behind. Who are they? They are the royal palace musicians. They're the musicians that play for ceremonies in the king's palace a soldier in uniform, I'm sorry, policeman in uniform, also representing the state, the power, power of the nation. There's nothing explicitly Buddhist about this part of the parade. It is all national symbolism. Yet another elephant dressed up in his royal elephant suit. But the story of Buddhism starts with the Buddha being born as a prince in a royal palace and leaving the palace to become a monk. Here are the flags of the nation of Sri Lanka and the different provinces of Sri Lanka. So again, this is all national symbolism, symbolism of the country and the kingship and the palace and of what the monks are about to leave behind them. And now some baby elephants. And behind the baby <coughs> elephants, you're just about ready to get some young monks, but first of all you get young boys dancing, and behind them adult men dancing. And these dancers are the priests of the old religion that was there before Buddhism. This is a religion of nature spirits and these people put on long, all night long performances of music and dance to appease the nature spirits, to bring rain and good harvest and good fortune to the country. They are the dancers of the old religion and its gods. And then Buddhist monks, finally a Buddhist element here. And the Buddhist monks are silent. They don't wear any fancy clothes. They don't carry any banners. They're all dressed the same and they're plain orange robes. And... They are set off by this kind of gilded frame of all of the symbolism of royalty, of music and dance, of the old gods and the elephants. And then the boys who and a few young men who make up the court of the procession, who just like the Buddha are leaving their homes, leaving their royal palaces, except they are not princes, but. They are leaving home, they're leaving all the comforts, and they're leaving their families, and here are members of the families coming with them, mostly men, but you'll also see some women um, in the group accompanying the boys who are going to the palace to become monks, and we get more dancers and more um, people representing royalty. um, Coming through the city, the procession attracts people because of the music um, to come to see it, and now they're at the royal palace in the center of the city. They go inside and upstairs and have their initiation ceremony in front of, uh, excuse me, I pressed the wrong button there, um, so, okay. In front of this door, which leads into the, uh, the main temple of Sri Lankan Buddhism, and they prostrate themselves before it. And I'm still pressing around that. I'm sorry about that. I want this one, a chapter button. Um, the senior monks sit down in a row in front of the temple, and the boys come up to them. We're looking down at the senior monks from behind, and the boys will come up and kneel in front of them. The boys have bundles. That include their um, their yellow robes that they will wear as monks and towels that they will give as gifts to the senior monks. There are not many gifts that you can give a monk, and so just about everybody gives them towels, and they get hundreds of towels every year i 've never figured out what they do with all those towels. maybe the whole worldwide towel industry is run by Buddhist monks um, selling all of the gift towels that they get. We should check into that sometime and see where where your towels come from. But here the boys then with their towels and their robes, they're lining up. They're going to visit the monks. Each boy comes up to one of the monks, hands them a towel, hands them his robes to inspect, and the monk gives back the robe. then they take a strip of cloth, you see that strip of cloth hanging down there. The monk grabs it in his hand, the boy holds onto it in his hand and now they're connected up as if they were plugged into the same electrical system and the monk will administer the vows of a new monk to the boys. And what they're singing is the three refuges, the same three refuges that we heard in China back at the beginning of the course, but this time not in Chinese, but in an Indian language, Pali. <clears throat> That's one kind of vocal music or vocalization that you hear in the Theravada Buddhist monasteries of Sri. Lanka. It is a musical recitation and what it does is to act as a legal document that is a certification of the monks having taken refuge and declared themselves Buddhist and declared their allegiance to the Buddhist community and to its teachings and, and to the Buddha. And they have to do it in triplicate, like a form that you fill out in triplicate, in three copies, and so that everything is repeated three times. And there are witnesses who will repeat everything three times too, because this will become a legal record of their residence and their status in the monastery, and will serve as a um, <clears throat> as a basis for their eligibility for promotions and Um, progress within within the monastic system. Again, it's a system of information storage and retrieval, of information management that uses a very different mechanism than was used by the Vedic priests in Hinduism who learn things backwards and forwards so that they won't forget them. The Buddhists store their information in multiple copies. And so they get a different kind of redundancy. But it is still possible to reconstruct the historical and legal basis of almost anything. And when Buddhists started to formalize their religion a couple of hundred years after the death of Buddha, when people were starting to argue and disagree about what Buddha had really said and what they should really believe, They held held gatherings that were like the church councils of Christianity in the early centuries AD, but the Buddhist gatherings were called singing together. And the Buddhist gatherings consisted of thousands of monks meeting and coming together to sing the words of Buddha and to work out through song together the differences and what the original version, and what the correct version ought to be. So this is another old technology of information storage and retrieval. Now there's a different kind of vocalization that goes on in Buddhist monasteries in Sri Lanka, and that is protective singing or chanting. <coughs> This is a special ceremony that is done in in times of crisis, when there's something wrong, Uh, either a sickness in a family or, in this case, a national disaster. There was a drought that had gone on for over nine months. And people were starving in some places. People were having to leave their homes and go uh, look for work in the cities. so on. And so they did this special protective ceremony. Most of these ceremonies go on one night. They start in the afternoon or evening, and they go on until sunrise the next morning. This one went on for six months, day and night. It never stopped. The monks came in shifts and did four hours each. So you would have uh, one older and one younger monk, like you, like you see here doing the chanting. And the sound could not stop. They had to keep going until the next team showed up, a kind of a tag team singing that goes on and on. Not because they believe that they're upholding the, the, the existence of the universe, like the Brahmin priests in Hinduism, but rather because they believe there is a power of truth What could that be? The power of truth is that anything that is true has power to do something about things that are wrong in some way or other, whether you understand how it works or not, whether you even understand what the truth is or not. As long as the truth is being told, as long as true words are being spoken, or sung, there is a power behind that that will work ultimately for your good, if only in your own mind, to make you better understand causes of suffering and causes of unhappiness and what one might do to try to overcome them. And so that's what this ceremony is about, the power of truth. Look at the swastikas, by the way. Well, it's not their fault that the Nazis stole the sign of the swastika anymore. Is it the mo- then it's the fault of Christians that the Ku Klux Klan stole the sign of the cross as a symbol of racial hatred. Swords and spears representing the power of truth, literally, to protect you against evil. And a tree, symbolically the center of the universe, where power flows between heaven and earth. Besides the (coughs) kinds of vocal music that you find in Buddhist monasteries in Sri Lanka, you also find... Instrumental music, but the vocal music is performed by monks, people who have left their home to live in a religious community and engage in full-time religious practice. The instrumental music is not performed by monks. It's performed by members of a musician cast, and the musician cast is a low caste. This is another drum and kettle, kettle drum and oboe band. You see the two kettle drums over here, then there are these cylindrical drums, and you hear the oboe in the background. They're playing the outline of a 16-beat tall-up. One, two, three, four, five, six, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, one, two, three, four, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, et Different 16 beat taller than the teen tall that you heard in um, North Indian classical music in the the Rhine. There's the kettle drum that improvises different patterns. Here's the oboe. And you see the player's cheeks. going in and out. He's doing what we call circular breathing, that is sometimes he breathes in through his nose while he's pushing out through his cheeks and so he can keep the sound going without stopping for breath. So these are low caste musicians, they're members of. The so-called drummer cast, the ones who play the instrumental music, and they stay separate from the monks who do the vocal music. The monks are upstairs and inside the temple. The musicians are downstairs and outside. Down and out for the low caste musicians, up and in, for the higher caste monks. Okay. Now, that has been all of our material on Sri Lanka for this DVD, or for this CD. So that means that we are not going to have 6A, 6B, 7A, or 7B on the listening exam. So we'll skip those two. So that's 5, 6, and 7. We will not have on the listening exam. Are you going to do eight and I think I'll do eight and nine, yeah. We'll find out um, tomorrow, won't we?